But back to Joseph. When we last saw our hero, how many of you remember? <laughs> what was that from even? Was that Batman? Was that Batman how they would all tie us over and he was about to be killed and, and the, whatever, whatever arch enemy of his had just done a monologue about what he was going to do and you know, for some reason they could have finished him off right then and they didn't. And then of course he escapes at the beginning of the next episode. But when we last saw our hero, Joseph, you remember what was happening, right? Can anybody remember? It's been two weeks because we had a little tornado scare last week. Yeah, do, you, do anybody remember? Remember he was at Potiphar's house? And remember he was working there and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he resisted. And when he resisted, he ran at one point and she was left holding his coat. And so then she accused him of attacking her. And uh, how ironic is that? And how true to life is that sometimes where the very, the very innocent person is the one that is then turned upon and they are seen as the criminal when they're not. And in this case, Joseph is falsely accused. And so let's go right to, oh, wait, who is this? Do you guys know who this is? Does anybody know who it is? <clears throat> there's a lot of rags to riches stories. There's, there's a couple in the Bible, but there are rags to riches in real life too. Nobody knows who this one is? This is going back a ways. Sam Walton's a good-looking guy, but he's not that good-looking. It's not Harry Truman. He does kind of favor Harry Truman, though, doesn't he? It's not Henry Black. I'll tell you in a minute. You're close. Rockefeller's close. This Scottish-American industrialist started to work at a cotton mill for 12-hour, six-days-a-week job when he was only 13 years old. How old are you, Isaac? 11. So in two more years, I expect you to be working 12 hour days, six days a week. Yeah. (laughs) And then after his father lost his job as a hand weaver in Scotland, then he was hired later as a telegraph messenger at the Pennsylvania Railroad Company. They moved to the United States since then, by then. And he was able to climb the corporate ladder where he used his earnings to invest in ventures that led him to build a, a public empire in the steel industry including a large-scale philanthropic legacy. That's Dale Carnegie right there. Yep. Anybody have any idea who this is? You were guessing other names earlier, but I'm sure you don't probably know this man by, by looks. He lived on a farm most of his growing up years. He was a Swedish um, business magnate now, and he's always been known for enterprising, but even as a young age, here's what he did. He bought matches in bulk and then sold them individually to his neighbors, Then he expanded that to fish and pens and Christmas decorations, and he also used the cash reward that his father gave him for good grades, and he used that to create a mail-order business that later became the retail company Ikea. (laughs) He now has a net worth of $3 billion, started by selling matches, individual matchsticks. Does anybody know who this is? We're talking rags to riches now. Because a lot of times you see somebody who's really successful and you assume that they had it given to them and they never worked for it. And that we do know examples of that. You know, many of them are politicians today. But, but, but then there are people, even some politicians, who, <clears throat> who really started with nothing and they worked really hard. Or maybe they had nothing or everything was taken away. Nobody knows who this is? Celine Dion? Uh, I guess so. It could be her, I guess. Uh, this, this person is a native of Yate, Gloucester, I'm probably saying it wrong, Gloucester, whatever, uh, in England. She moved to Porto, Portugal in 1990 when her mother died. While she was already writing, 
her famous novel series. Yes, J.K. Rowling. Before her mother, uh, anyway, in 93, she moved back to Edinburgh, Scotland, and a life, her, her and her daughter were living on welfare at the time, suffering from clinical depression until she finished her first book. Then she was able to finish it by writing on scraps of tissue paper from the numerous cafes they visited while her daughter was sleeping, she says. Now with over 400 million books worldwide, worldwide they say her net worth is about $1 billion, billion with a B, dollars. Anybody know who this is? I'm not saying I endorse their, their life or their life philosophies. I'm just telling you rags to riches. Yeah, this is Jim Carrey, James Eugene Carey. He was born in Ontario, Canada to a middle-income family where his father was a musician at night and an accountant by day. However, things got worse for him when the family lost his job. He lost his job and they moved to Scarborough where then um, Jim would work eight hours a day at the Titan Wheel Factory while attending school. He never finished high school. So then while living in a camper van, he started doing stand-up routines and eventually landed a gig in a sitcom I've never heard of called The Duck Factory. Then he first gained recognition in 1990 when he became one of the cast members in a sketch comedy in Living Color and then later moved on to be one of the highest-paid comedic actors in the United States. These guys have nothing on Joseph, though. These guys worked, 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 and got to where they are, but who we're talking about one day went from the prison to the palace. One day. So I told you a little bit about about him and Potiphar. So here's where we pick up the story. Potiphar was furious when he heard about his wife's story and how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite of the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. I want to draw just a couple truths out of that portion of scripture. The first thing is this. No matter what is going on in your life, for poor Joseph, he probably thought being sold into slavery was bad, but then it got kind of good because he worked hard and the Lord blessed him and his gifts and skills, he put them to work and he ended up running all of Potiphar's house. And when we say all of his house, it's not like a house like yours and mine. It was a mansion with many servants and many things. So he had it pretty good. But then he's now in prison. And then you look at his life and it says the Lord blessed him. And again, he applied the gifts that God had given him and he worked hard. And then now he's where he is. But it clearly says, even in those two portions of scripture we read, the Lord was with him. It said it three times right there. Here's something you need to never, ever forget. The Lord is with you. He is with you. Regardless of what it looks like or what your struggles are or what you're going through or even how you got where you are, he still is with you. He doesn't abandon us. Not only that, if he's with you, who can be against you? Now, there's a lot of times where you look out there and it looks like it's bad, and it might be. But you and God, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but you and God are a majority. I mean, really, what do you have to fear? What else can be taken from you? If you've already given your life to him, what else matters? He he owns you. And if you've got him and he's got you, what is there to worry about? 
Something else I look about this is everywhere Joseph ended up, whether he was on top or on the bottom, he applied himself and he worked. He grew where he was. He allowed God to use him right where he was. So many times we get in the situation, whether we cause it or not, and we get frustrated and we think, you know what? I'm too bad. I'm throwing it all to the wind. I'm giving up on this. I work too hard. And, or maybe you think, hey, this is a good excuse. Or maybe, you don't, maybe that doesn't even go through your mind, but you think, you know what? This isn't fair. Whatever's happened to me is not fair. So because of that, I'm going to go ahead and do something wrong. I know I shouldn't do or be mean to somebody or pay somebody else back. Or It's almost like we feel like we have a license to sin because something happened to us that's not fair. That's not how it works. No matter where Joseph was, he still grew and applied the talents and gifts that God gave him. I want to ask you, are you a worker? Are you a learner? Wherever Joseph was, he was applying himself. You think about all the things he did. Do you think that possibly, quite possibly, remember what we said, Joseph wasn't the oldest son. Remember what number he was in 12 sons? He was 11. How is it that God put him in charge? I mean, his dad put him in charge. I wonder if at some point as he was growing up, he learned from bad examples. Could it, was it possible maybe that as he watched his brothers mismanage his father's estate, that he learned how not to do things? You know, you can do that. Even from a bad boss, I know how I would do this different. Or when I have a chance to be in charge, or when I have a chance to treat, be the one in charge of how people get treated, I'm going to do it this way because I know how not to do it now. You can learn from anybody, either a bad example or a good example. You can learn if you have your mindset the right way. The thing I look about this, he learned in his father's house, he learned in Potter's house, and I guarantee you he even learned in prison house. Because when he got in prison, he wasn't in charge. Someone else was. There was some other person that the warden was trusting when Joseph was first thrown in there. And at some point, when Joseph took over, and when he recognized Joseph's gifts, and as the Lord blessed him, and Joseph was, Joseph was, uh, was faithful and favored, I guarantee you that along the way, he was learning something all along the way. How do you do that? How do you do it? You apply yourself no matter what's going on. You work hard no matter what's going on. You, you try, you work, you make it work. Let me ask you another question. Who is your source? Good, I'm glad he is. Because I'll tell you this, there's a lot of times when you're in one of these situations and sometimes we start to think we're our source. And, and it's not that, it, I'm not saying don't work hard, I just said work hard. What I'm saying is that there's times where we start to think, I'm gonna be the one that's gonna save myself. And that's not always true. The truth is, if you rely on him and the more you trust him, he will bless you, and he will use that hard work, and he will make that happen. Who are you looking to? Do you ever bargain with God? Do you ever get in a situation and say, God, look, hey, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? How about we do this? Or God, hey, maybe you could do this. Or, and there's nothing wrong with that per se. There's a lot of examples of that in Scripture. But what I'm telling you is make sure you know he is your source, that he's the one you go to. Because there's a lot of times where I just trust me and I try to think, well, how am I going to get out of this? And what does what uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will direct your path. I do believe that God gives us great ideas and he uses the wisdom and the years of experience that he's already built into you. But make sure you consult him first because he needs to be your source. Something else I notice about Joseph there is talent can get you there, but God-built character will keep you there. Because some people have said, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe Joseph was just good. I mean, there are people like that. You know, you run into people. I, I could see it even today as we're doing, I'm doing the games for the kids uh, during the VBS. And I got to tell you, it's fun. I really enjoy that. But it is comical to watch, you know, like we were doing a game today with all the kids. What they had to do was a relay race. Anybody love relay races? Just a little side note. You realize there are only like five games in the world. And every game is a variation of those. So, I mean, there's relay races, there's tag, there's, you know what I mean? There's circle games. Okay, it basically, okay, so we're doing this relay race. All they had to do was take a book and bounce a ping pong ball and walk along like that. Do you know how many kids can actually do that? Yeah, one. <laughs> Very small percentage. And in the younger kids, it's like next to impossible. All right, there is natural abilities, of course. And God gives us some people natural leadership abilities, you can see it, too, with little kids. It's funny. you know. Even as kids are milling around in here, you've got the little kid that's a sheepdog, and they're just kind of herding all the little kids. They're keeping them in line. They're herding them around. You need to be over here. You need to be over here. And you know, sometimes you want to say, you need to just worry about yourself and let these kids do what they're going to do. But what's cool about that is that kid, that's a leadership gift right there. They, have, they see what needs to happen. They see that not everybody's doing it, and they want to make it happen. You know, I'm not going to crush that. I think it's a great thing. So yes, there's natural abilities. God gives us natural abilities. The difference is Joseph probably had natural abilities, but the abilities don't keep you there. What happens is God-built character will keep you there. The time you spend with him in the word, the time you spend with him in prayer, those things that you build in, that character that he develops in you, that will keep you there. How many people have you known that once they get to the top or they're in charge, they turn into another person? It's like you can't even stand to be around them anymore. Like, who are you? We used to, you know, used to be this, and now you're lording it over us, and now you're, you're, you, you've got to, you know, like you think everybody owes you or whatever. You see that happen. The truth is, God-built character will keep you where God has put you. What you need to do is rely on the Holy Spirit and let him continue to guide you. You see, I'm sure that Joseph had, had well, he had those dreams where he was going to be in charge. And I'll bet there's a lot of times where he asked God, is this what you meant by that dream? I'm going to be in charge of a bunch of prisoners? Because I thought it was going to be in charge of my, my brothers, but I don't even see them around. They sold me to be a slave. Now I'm in charge of a bunch of criminals. You know, I mean, every criminal is innocent in jail, right? I'm sure that was, everybody was thinking that. But fact is, there had to be times where he was questioning God and wondering. But even when he was there and life didn't make sense and his sentence didn't make sense and the prison term didn't make sense, he still lived out what God put in him and the God's character that was in him still kept him going. I read this about Joseph. It said that, in the empty middle ground, going nowhere, I mean, really, okay, so you're in charge of the prison. You're still in charge of prison. 
You know what I'm saying? It's still prison. It's still, and, and you know what? These prisons weren't like ours. It's not like a white collar prison where they're playing tennis, you know, and getting served, uh, you know, dinner in their room. It's not like prisons like we have today in the United States where it's, it's, it can be pretty cushy, pretty nice. You know, I don't know if any of you have been to a foreign prison. We used to do uh, prison ministry in Tijuana in Mexico when I was a youth pastor down there. I'm telling you, you have to just, you have to almost steal your stomach against feeling nauseated. I think those prisons that Joseph were in were, of course, I don't know, but I think it was a tough place. He was going nowhere. Life was suspended between a past which they longed for and the future which he hoped for, but he was nowhere, a middle ground. But he grew during that time. He grew during that time. I think of 1 Peter 4.12 where it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Because God can use those things to grow you in a way that nothing else will. Nothing else will. You know what else I've noticed about that? When you're in those times of testings and things aren't going terrific, you know what he can do in you? He can make you a person that can actually be a better minister. A better minister. You're all called to be ministers, you know. There's a difference. Have you, you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? Well, English class today. What, what, what is sympathy? Because you feel sorry for them. Empathy is you feel, you feel what they feel because you've been there. There's a difference. There is a difference. If you just feel sorry for someone because you can imagine how horrible it is, that's good. But if you feel for them because you've been there, you've experienced, you've walked their walk, that's different. That's a whole nother thing. And maybe you think, okay, God, I would rather be sympathetic for people than empathize. I understand that. No one wants to walk through tough times. But the truth is, once you have, that creates a depth in you that allows you to minister and care for people that is beyond, beyond the life of luxury. It refines who you are. It refines your character. It deepens you as a person. But again, back to our hero. What a difference a day makes. You guys remember that commercial? It was a CNR Clothiers. Remember that? Talked about what a difference a day makes, and it takes this like guy and then puts him in a suit, and you're like, oh, wow, he looks presentable or something. I had one of my former students from Sheffield. He was applying for a job yesterday. <laughs> he put a picture of himself on in a suit. I didn't recognize him. I thought it was somebody else. <laughs> I, didn't, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I had to message him like, where'd you get that suit? Seriously, because that, that looks good, man. I just, but I was just giving him a hard time. But uh, things can change in a day. Can't they? Let's take a look at, at um, this day. I mean, we're going to get to the day, but the day hasn't happened yet. Sometime later, um, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master, and they were thrown into the same prison as Joseph. And while they were there, they both have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. Now, the cupbearer, you know how the cupbearer worked? The cupbearer would taste whatever the king was, the pharaoh was, was drinking before the pharaoh, and pharaoh would kind of watch him to see if he turned green, and then if he, if he looked okay, then pharaoh would drink it. The baker, I think we can understand. But both of them have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams, and I, I always read the story and think, 
oh my goodness, can you imagine the baker? So they're in prison. Joseph tells him, uh, tells the cupbearer, in three days, you're going to be called up to Pharaoh and your job is going to be restored. Then he turns to the baker and tells him, in three days, you're going to be impaled and killed. Like, oh my goodness. And I'm sure the baker walked away thinking, oh, that guy's nuts. And I'm sure that the cupbearer went, went away thinking, I hope he's right. And this is what we see happen. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. He prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, what you don't know, I didn't put it in there, is Joseph tells the cupbearer, not the baker, but the cupbearer, hey, remember me when you get back up there. Remember me. And he didn't. He didn't remember him, did he? Here's what the scripture says. Two full years later. Two full years later. Two full years later. You know, we read this and sometimes, and you can read it so quick and you think, Wow, that's a great story. Two years is a long time. I don't care who you are, but you're in prison. You, you prophesied this. It happened. What was he thinking? Not only was he maybe feeling God let him down, but certainly this friend who he did everything for let him down. Pharaoh would dream that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. And as the story goes, he has this weird dream. He sees fat cows And then thin cows come up and eat them. Then he sees fat ears of grain. Then he sees thin ears of grain come up. Then he calls for all his interpreters. None of them can interpret. Then the cupbearer, who's been standing there the whole time, says, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oops. I'm sure he's sitting like, oh, no. wonder if Joseph's still alive. Because he's probably thinking, I need to find out who can interpret this because there could have been a lot of bad things go down. I mean, these, these... These rulers, they weren't normal people. I mean, they punished a lot of people willy-nilly. Who knows what would have happened? I mean, he might have been sweating, thinking, what if Joseph gives up here and then, then, you know, tells on me? Who knows? So he says, I know somebody. I know somebody who can interpret this dream for you, Pharaoh. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. Remember what a difference a day makes? He's in prison that morning, And after he shaved, and you know the difference. I mean, the the Egyptians really prided themselves on clean shavenness. So he shaves, changes his clothes. He went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that you hear about a dream and can interpret it. And I love what Joseph answers him. He says, it is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means And set you at ease. So he tells him the dream. He says there's going to be seven bountiful years and then seven years of of famine. And then he tells him, Pharaoh, what you should do is find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And then he should appoint advisors and supervisors. And you should have them bring in a fifth of the grain for those seven good years and store it here in the city. And And then after, during the seven bad years... And so he goes into that, and the Bible says that Joseph's suggestions were well-received by Pharaoh and the officials. So the Pharaoh asked, 
his officials, who can we find? Who is a wise man enough to do this? Yes. Pharaoh said to Joseph, therefore, I put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. This is the same day. I bet you he never had a shave in all those years. I wonder if he had a little razor burn. I wonder if he's thinking, wow, that feels good. (laughs) Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted to kneel down, kneel down. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. So what do you do when people let you down? What do you do when people let you down? And I put in parentheses, people who you've helped let you down. That makes it worse, right? Because a lot of people let us down, uh, people all the time. But when it's somebody we've helped, that makes it even worse. It hurts at another level. What do you do? What do you do? Everything changed for Joseph. Scripture says he was 30 years old at this point. Not only did he put the signet ring on him, which gave him the authority of Pharaoh and that whole land. Not only did he put him in second in charge of everything, Not only that, he said that nothing in in Egypt will move or happen unless Joseph says so. You realize the day before he was in prison, one day, they gave him a new name. They gave him a new name that was a powerful name. They literally changed his identity from a Hebrew slave who was a convict to an Egyptian ruler in one day. He gave him a wife. He gave him status. He gave him everything that he had none of the day before. And then all the people of the land came to buy grain from Joseph. Do you guys have cupbearers in your past? People have let you down after you've helped them? You see, Joseph didn't didn't exact revenge on the cupbearer. And most of us think it would have been okay, maybe a little bit. But he didn't. He didn't do that. He didn't do it. The truth is, it's your job to be faithful regardless of the cupbearers in your life. The truth is, there's going to be times where people you've helped let you down and you still need to be happy for their successes. I said happy. I did. Because that's what God is about. It's about blessing people and you still need to be faithful even though they're being blessed. Two years Two years. You know what life's like in prison? It's the same thing every day, over and over and over. Two years. Two years. So many times we get frustrated because things aren't happening fast enough or the way we think they should happen. And I understand that. Two years. He didn't anticipate this one day that changed everything. I read this. I love it. It says, Uh, God doesn't announce his appointments in advance. You know know how desperately and and badly we want prophets in our life? We want to know, when is this going to happen? What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? That we seldom get that picture in life. What we're called to is faithfulness day in, day out, whether it's one year, two years, whether it's in prison, whether it's not, we're called to that kind of faithfulness 
And God doesn't let you know in advance when he's going to change everything and take you from prison to the palace. He doesn't do that. But he does do that eventually. That day was a day like any other day. I'll bet you when he got the call, he said, what? Okay. (laughs) You know what else I love about what he did? He promoted God. He didn't promote himself. I have to be a little bit honest here. I might have been tempted to say, I know somebody who could run this for you. Or when, Joseph, when Pharaoh said, um, I'm told that you can interpret dreams, he might have said, yeah, but I do it better, not in prison, right? He didn't do any of that. In fact, what he said is, I don't have the power to do that. God does. That's totally selfless and putting God on the throne. And even the way he said, Pharaoh, what you need to do is you need to find someone who can lead and handle this. He still didn't promote himself. I mean, to me, there would have been a little hint, hint in there, but that's not in scripture. In scripture, he says, you need to find somebody. And then Pharaoh looks around and says, who else? If this guy is wise enough to interpret my dream and he hears from God like this, then he's the man. That is an amazing thing. It's hard to do, but that's an amazing thing. I know in the back of my mind, I would have been thinking, how can I word this so I convince Pharaoh that I don't need to go back to prison? But he didn't do that. James 4 says, humble humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. When your reward comes, I just want to remind you to give God the glory because he deserves it. He deserves it. Hey, Dave, if we could put some music on in in a second here. I want to mention this too. No matter what eavesdrop or a, a hint dropping you want to do or how much resume preparing you want to do for whatever's going on in your life, only God can bring you through the dungeon and into the palace. That's what he does. So I'm asking, do you have a testimony in the making? Is there something going on in your world that um, you're working on and you feel like it's been two years already, God? <laughs> Or maybe you're just sailing along and everything's good for you, and that's awesome. If that's you, I want us to give, take a moment and just kind of give God some glory. So here's what I'm going to challenge us to do just for this evening. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. Um, I want to give you a chance to just express to God what's going on with you. If you feel like things are good, tell him, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you feel like you're in the dungeon right now and things don't make sense and it's not working out, I challenge you to live like Joseph. If you have cupbearers in your life who failed you, let you down, maybe, you know, I mean, the cupbearer forgot about him and that's horrible, but maybe people in your life that have done worse and they have wrongly accused you or said you did something you didn't do or hurt you or said things that have offended you, I'm going to challenge you to do something that that I I promise you Joseph did, I'm going to challenge you right now tonight to forgive that person and to celebrate their success. That's a hard thing to do. But it's something that God wants you to do, and it will heal your heart in a way that nothing else will. So if that is you tonight, I want you to do that right now as I pray. Father, I lift up our friends in this room today. God, those who've had some struggles or some frustrations at the hands of others.